You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Grand rising and good morning to you over here, rocking it out already this morning in the Black Media Matter studios. Welcome to the Morning Update show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, and we've got a great show lined up for you as always, y'all, today. Always a great day when I'm in the Black Media Matter studios with my buddy, co-host with the most, Big O. What a Big O. Happy Wednesday. Trey Holiday. Hey, What's how up? are you? Happy Wednesday. Oh, it's for me, it's Thursday Eve, right? Thursday Eve for you. Mm. Yes. You won't let us forget it ever. <laughs> Any week, we we know. No, <laughs> I love it. It's Man, it's all good. And, you know, I don't know what the weather is going to do for the rest of the day, but, you know, I'm trying to hit the ballpark later on. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice. Yeah, I can't get enough of the M's. I'm trying to take all the kids. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, this week is just moving along. Oh, before we get going today, I got a really nice email from the people over at Public Health, Seattle King County. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about their COVID response yesterday as well as the Seattle Fire Department. And, you know, they was watching as they sent a real nice message over. That's good to hear. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just keeping it real with our audience. And I love that they were watching and that the, the message resonated with them. Shout out to them for the hard effort they put into the COVID response. Yeah, man, we got a great show lined up here today. Uh, Tiffany McCoy and Ty Reed are in the building. These guys have been making a lot of noise. This is the House Our Neighbors, <clears throat> excuse me, I-135, Initiative 135, going on to the ballot. It's all about social housing. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about the diversity of housing. I'm excited that they're here today so we can dive into it with them. I think a lot of folks don't still know what it is yet. So it'd be great to really set that foundation. Yeah. You know, I mean, on on Twitter, I've just been kind of saying, you know, is this housing, you know, for the people, by the people? That might be something we need. That's town business. But we're, we're going to dive into it, man, you know, in all aspects of that. And so we, we've left a lot of space and grace in the show today for conversation. So our headlines were a bit short, but um, in that case, I'll jump right into it. Excuse me. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. I want to remind you that right now is a perfect time for you to tag and share the stream. We're talking about social housing today. Definitely tag and share the stream with people that appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right here in the Emerald City. Want to give a big shout out to our partners, KBCS 91.3 over at Bellevue College, as well as the South Seattle Emerald. You can listen to the Morning Update Show Mm-hmm. And all of our shows anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast right now, we're putting SoundCloud in the links. But, you know, you can also go to uh, Google, Spotify, iTunes. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network um, time in the show right now. We continue to keep this message going here for us. Wa.org here for us. Wa.org culturally curated information uh, for those in our community, especially those vaccine hesitant man is vaccine and mass news it's, it's been a lot you know what i'm saying going on uh around it so a good resource is kind of tailored for our people yeah i mean and and we keep talking about it's so necessary you know ultimately there's a lot of people out here that are you know following these trends we're seeing you know mask on mask off now no mask on planes there's a lot of people that you know uh, when we have these changing of the times sometimes it can get confusing and so you know check out here first you know make sure that you're up to date on the latest info <clears throat> all right trey holiday a good thing is getting ready to come to an end Today is the last day for Culture 2022 Project Grants. If you wait until the last day to get this in, 
then it's probably I, I'm I'm hoping and wishing for all the best. Yeah. <laughs> for culture and for their credit, man, this thing have been open for at least like six weeks or something. It's been open for a long time. Today is the last day for people to get that in. And again, you know, kudos to Ford Culture for literally doing it for the culture. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, project grants around arts preservation and heritage. The application closes at 5 p.m. today. So, I mean, you still have an opportunity to get that application in on this very last day. Make sure you submit your application by 5 p.m. All right. And then also, this is not a deal. We want to keep this going here. Um, this is the summer learning request for investment. This is Department of Education and Early Learning. And man, they got a million dollars, Trey Holiday, and grants up to $75,000 for community organizations that are, man, have programs to really bolster children um, around education. So whether it's young kids or preparing uh, teenagers for college, college prep, everything else. Best thing is, is we always talk about investment in prevention and investment in education. And this is two for one. You know, you're absolutely right. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, uh, programs that offer opportunities for high school students in particular to retrieve their credits. Um, this is really important because that can be a, a, a life changer for a high school student in terms of, you know, graduating on time or not. So shout out to all of the institutions and organizations out there that are prepping themselves for this request for investment. Uh, right now is the time to go after it and make sure that you get the much needed funds to, uh, you know, bolster your programs around education during the summer months. Yeah, it's a whole meal ticket out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. So last night, Hey, I, I think you're going to have to come to one of these uh, Truth With Proof <laughs> live shows because, man, I got smoked turkey legs and banana pudding. Look, so, so I'm out over there laughing. He's still like, he saved his banana pudding <laughs> till this morning. I, I met what a great and entertaining show last night. But, you know, who else was on was Willie Seals. Uh, from the Ace Academy. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the Ace Academy, they have their gala on May 21st at Bell Harbor. Salman will put the link there in the comments. And they're looking to to raise uh, uh, $300,000, right? And so part of that's just through gala tickets, but of course, through donations and everything else. Well, Willie Sills was sitting here yesterday with proof. And we had a little present for Willie and Ace Academy opportunity to celebrate black excellence um, and just be around just some good folks. And it's also a fundraising opportunity for us as well. Um, a big goal for us is to raise $300,000 to be able to provide that support for our operations and for the black males that we are serving within this community because it's absolutely needed. It definitely is absolutely needed. Now, have to say, I really don't see a lot of us uh, always in one area or in one space. Uh, but just to let you know, I do notice when people are doing things the right way, not even the right way, they way to make an impact. Because sometimes it ain't my way or your way. It's just how we make an impact. And if we can make an impact, it's going to be better for all of us. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And you already said you're going to have me in the blazer and all of that. But on the behalf of Converge Media, uh, big old Trayana, all of Salman, everybody that's here at the Truth with Proof show, uh, we want to give you 250.
$50. Oh, man. Appreciate that. Oh, yeah. We got a check for you right Thank here. you. Thank you, sir. Oh, $250. that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, two tickets, however you want to put yeah. it. Uh, we want to go towards that $300,000 that you want to do because it's needed. Oh, look at us being the givers. Uh, this is a beautiful thing. You know what? Here at Converge, we really believe in the work of our community and it's beyond uh, talk for us. So I love that we put some money where our mouth is. Oh, you know, we don't just talk the talk. We walk the walk. Man, shout out to everybody over at Ace Academy. It's an incredible effort, you know, really allowing youth to see themselves in these magnificent roles. Shout out to my brother Marcus over there who's also with that effort. I got to say, it's beautiful that we understood the need and we put some money in that pot, man. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. And you know what I'm saying? Uh, May 21st, you have to check your calendar. Yeah. See, see if you're, I know you love galas and, and all those. <laughs> <Here you go. laughs> no, it's the truth. You, you know what I'm saying? You love galas, but also what, what we're going to do is, man, we're going to give away two pairs of tickets as well. And I think this would be really interesting for people who may have never been to a gala. You know what I'm saying? What's a new experience that we can give somebody? You know, this is going to be a really a night of black excellence there at, at Bell Harbor on May 21st. Check your calendar out there. And I want you to email, email, email Besa and say why you and a guest want to uh, attend the gala. You know what I'm saying? And ideally, like I said, we want people who've never been to a gala before experience something new to be able to go. That's uh, B-E-S-A at whereweconverge.com. So email her and we'll give these uh, two tickets out to the gala. And then if you want to go, so I'm on you going. We're going to get you in a suit. Okay, so we'll, we'll buy another round of tickets for staff and everybody else that wants to attend. But we definitely want to uplift the work at Ace Academy. Absolutely, we do. I mean, education is a big foundation for us here at Converge. And I am so glad and honored that we'll be able to be in attendance to support this fabulous effort over there at Ace Academy. Shout out to all y'all. Yeah. Willie great, Seals is great watching. Work, great work. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah you know what? So, um, by the way, Willie, and Willie, Willie gave us a swag bag and all kinds of stuff. I got all kinds of gear. I got to get a hat to match the shirt. So, as soon as I get a hat, don't worry. I'm going to have my I Am Excellence uh, shirt on here as well. Uh, before we go to break and we, we go with our guests, kind of setting the framework here when we talk about housing in Seattle. And we talk about how much our beloved Central District here represented in our iconic interview wall has changed over the years. And a big part of it is, is that our community can no longer afford to live in their community. Absolutely. I mean, we have been talking about this for uh, many years now. I think many people saw it on the horizon. Shout out to all those who have been paving the way towards the understanding of not just the term gentrification, but it really is the changing of the tides in our neighborhood. We saw this with weed and seed. We saw that there was literal uh, programs put in place to divest from the Central District to make it an uh, area of opportunity for investment. Um, and unfortunately, that that opportunity 
opportunity missed a lot of black families. And so I'm really excited, honestly. You know, I got my Build Africa Town shirt on today because when we're talking about housing, I think about the need for community centric housing, for it to be owned and operated by a community. The idea of social housing and the PDA being a major part of this, it's going to be really interesting to, again, set that foundation and put the tone in for people to understand it's necessary. Yo. Yeah, a lot of people might not realize if, if you look at uh, House Bill 1918, I think that was 2019, it passed both houses of the legislature unanimously and Governor Inslee signed it in July of, uh, I think it was 2019. But in House Bill uh, 1918, it talked about the legacy black community of Seattle and the central district basically government working against it. It was systemic, all these other things, either either by you know lack of resources or zoning or this. So government has had an active role, right? It isn't like government has just stood by. Government has had an active role over the years in what happened in the Central District. And like I said, House Bill 1918, and there was no legislator in the state of Washington who disagreed. Have passed both houses unanimously and it said their government's role in what happened <clears throat> to Seattle's legacy black community in the Central District. I only bring that up because if government played a role in dismantling our community, very well might be time for government to play a role, you know, in rebuilding the community and not in some, you know, here's grant here, here's there. And maybe in creating a robust infrastructure to do so. I love that you say that. And, and something that I really want to point out here is House Bill 1918 passed in that, you know, res with those resounding numbers because it wasn't tied to any form of solution. Um, and so, it, you know, just like you talked about, you know, uh, now a Supreme Court Justice Katanji uh, Brown Jackson, you know, some of the re Republicans saying, well, this doesn't really have a change of power, so I can go ahead and do this. I think it's really the same with House Bill 1918. It was, um, in essence, it was just showcasing that this history was true. And so people were like, yeah, I mean, I, I can agree with that, that that's true. But now what we have to do is exactly what you talk about, oh, crafting real solutions around the repairing of the harms that House Bill 1918 laid out before all of us. The fact that we can accept that that's a part of our history. Now, what are we going to do about it? Right. I think the idea is as well, and I agree with you, I think the idea is, and this is sometimes what happens in our community. We always talk about that foot on the gas. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that That is a crack in the door because unanimously, everybody in the state agrees on historically what happened. And so now we don't have to go back and argue about, oh, the government do this, was this, this is, man, this is in our law now in the state of Washington. So now we have a baseline, mm -hmm. right? And so now from that baseline is like you said, man, what are we really gonna do to repair harm? What, what are we really gonna do? Because one thing, sure, about, you know, we talk about the Seattle process and the Seattle method and the Seattle this and that. One thing for sure, especially when it comes to black folk, what Seattle's good for is Seattle's good for having a discussion. <laughs> we'll talk about everything. But somehow people here think that a discussion is fixing the problem. Imagine going to the emergency room and you get a consultation for a broken arm. And they've consulted you. Oh, no, I consulted them, looked at it. Arms definitely broken. 
Uh, who's next? <laughs> yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? So Seattle is really good at, at, at discussing an issue and we'll have a forum. All these people, they call me, they want to be on panel. Let me, let me tell you this. I can't go on no rant rant because we got some hot guests <laughs> in the building today ready to talk about this hot topic that's right here. You know what I'm saying? But I want to speak again to all you DEI people out there, right? And I want to hip you guys to something that you might not be aware of. A lot of people in companies and organizations that you're a part of, they're systemic racist. Now it's institutional, you know what I'm saying? They might not even be realizing, to be honest with you, you know, what, what exactly they're doing, you know, when they look at a name on an application and, you know what I'm saying, just, just deny it without reading through it. When they advertise for jobs, but they don't advertise in no black media, you know, and so people be hitting me and they want me to go and be on panels to talk to these institutionalized people who've been holding black people back in for 20, 30 years on the job. And, and what they don't understand is this, is me being on any panel, one is a stamp of approval of the panel, but two, this gives these same systemic people, they're able to check a box. Well, to be honest with you, you know, I sat on a panel with Omari <laughs> and Converge Media and this and that. And then they co-opt the vernacular. You know, I believe that equity is important for everybody, but they don't change their actions. You see what I'm saying? And I think a lot of DEI people don't realize they setting themselves up for the fall. They recruiting all the black people to go be on panels and talk to white people who aren't going to change. You see what I'm saying? I'll, I'll be there for an hour all worked up and everything else. These guys are able to say so they're able to walk away and say, well, man, you know, well, we met with with Omari and Triana talked to us and this and that. And they're going to continue the same practice. Right. And that's what you DEI people need to look at. You know what I'm saying? You very well might be giving your people who are the real problem a free pass by inviting us black folk to sit up there and give a sham panel legitimacy with a bunch of people who aren't going to change their actions. What you need to do is you need to guarantee the actions that are going to outcome first and then invite the black folk to come talk. You know what I'm saying? Agreed 100%. Okay, just two things real quick. Seattle is quick to celebrate the concept. It is an empty concept. I mean, when when you look at House Bill 1918, it sets the foundation, it does. But it's easy to accept that because there's really nothing tangible attached to it. This is what Seattle does. But it's also what Washington does. And I think it's what the nation does. We talk a lot about theory. We talk a lot about putting ideals out there and celebrating the concept of something. But as long as it doesn't amount in any real adjustment of power, then we're all okay with it. When we start talking about real adjustments of power in terms of community rooted solutions that are culturally responsive, we say these things and I'll say them over and over again, because when we talk about culturally responsive approaches, we're literally talking about center the voices of the people that have been at the most affected margins of society. Now, another thing here, DEI is a cool concept. When I was in corporate America, it was just diversity and inclusion. It was just D.I. They didn't even know nothing about equity. And the second day in a white corporate job, I was given the opportunity to lead D.I. efforts. They didn't even know really who I was yet. But I was a black woman who already was outspoken. It was enough to checkmark that box. However, 
It didn't result in more black people getting access to executive roles. Let's just be real here. At the end of the day, you can no longer do performative action. That means that you're able to check mark boxes off and get black faces to puppeteer your agendas. At the end of the day, right now, what is required of you is to do exactly what Omari laid out here. You have to come with, this is what we want to learn from you for. These are the things that we are really in, in, in a, a positive uh, movement to change. These are the things that we already have laid out. Tell us what you think of that so that we can enact these things. We can't just do it because you came, you talked to us, we learned from you. That was so great. You were so poised. Oh my gosh, we just so appreciate uh, your passion and, listen, your, and your perspective. Listen. No more, y'all. No more. You, you know, I'll be I'll be I'll be on a, a on a panel and and next day you know the same people who won't even look at an application from somebody named Tawana when I, they'll have a converse shirt on. Well, yeah. you know I mean. <laughs> Omari was there and, you know, I'm saying, hey, man, stream the revolution and they throwing out, you know what I'm saying? Not giving no people no opportunity. I think what DEI people need to do, one, man, y'all need to be looking for another career path because the winds in America is changing. You see what I'm saying? People, the winds of George Floyd is changing. And see, this is what happens, though. This is what happens when you just talk about it. time for America to have a discussion about race. <laughs> time for us to discuss this and that. And remember, even when when Mayor, when Mayor Durkin was like, OK, 100 million. And it, it was like, man, 100 million for 10 years. Well, that's gone. You know what I'm saying? But the whole time I'm like, you know, money come and go. We need policies policies money will come and go i mean so this is what i'm saying like the social housing represents a policy right we always get the lip service here's a little bag for all the negroes to fight over you know what i'm saying or what's in the pot and no policy changes we need policy change and so without policy changes this is what i'm saying and with a lot of this stuff with dei when the winds of george floyd when the last tailwinds blow out all of a sudden well you know to be honest with you trey um <laughs> We're, we're downside where we're putting DEI in the HR and we're going to, you know, send people a survey or something. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's, then it becomes if, about recruitment only. Yeah, man. Spend, <laughs> spend less time in trying to have somebody like me give legitimacy to a panel of people who ain't going to make a difference in your company. And how about you just make a difference in your company? And we ain't even got to go and talk to him. You know what? Agreed a thousand percent. This is something that, uh, you know, I have been saying ever since I was in corporate America. And this is why I really fight for community rooted solutions in terms of policy and advocacy, because we do have the solutions on the ground. They need to be scaled up. And we see this in terms of performativism, because we talk about being in a progressive Seattle. We talk about this all the time. We know that has not meant a thing to black families, a zero to black families. And it's no longer going to be that Let's be clear. We just saw it even with cannabis equity, bro, at the state level. Listen, Ridiculous. That 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 whole that whole quote quote progressive, it works. It just don't work for black folk. Yeah. It's working exactly <laughs> like how it's supposed to. White people always come out on top on that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like you say, even no matter what, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It works. You know what I'm saying? We need to do a remix or something. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Figure <laughs> out what's going to work for us. Hey, look, great discussion. We actually went a little bit long right there. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, and this is the first time we haven't had photo photos, but when we come back, we got Tiffany McCoy um, coming in from How's Our Neighbors, the I-135 initiative. You're watching the Morning Update Show. 
Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Faisa. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. As a non-binary black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with black folks to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. All right. Welcome back to the Morning Update Show. Joined now by Tiffany McCoy. How's our neighbors? Welcome to the Morning Update Show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Welcome to the Black Media Matters Studios. Um, wanna Got a bunch of things to talk to you about. But first of all, I'll let you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself and um, what you do. Yeah, so my name is Tiffany McCoy. I am the advocacy director of Real Change. Um, go find your local vendor. There's a new paper out uh, this morning. And I'm also the campaign co-chair of How's Our Neighbors and Initiative 135, which I'm excited to talk to you about. All right. Yeah, so Real Change. First, first of all, big shout out to Real Change. You know what I'm saying? I mean, on a lot of different levels, you know, on the media level, on the support level, on the advocacy level. So if you see these guys out there with real change, you know, support them. And next time you guys do one of them fundraisers, like I want to be partnered with somebody. You know what I'm saying? You want to do it? Yes, I want to be partnered with somebody, you know, for real. You know, it's a good thing. All right. So um, tell us what House Our Neighbors is all about and then what social housing is. Definitely. So How's Our Neighbors first formed about this time last year in opposition to Charter Amendment 29, which was uh, ironically dubbed Compassion Seattle, which would have done a lot of um, lofty things that wasn't paid for. But most importantly, it would have uh, concretized sweeps as a cornerstone of our homelessness policy. And we didn't see anyone that was coming out in opposition to it. There's a lot of good values, as you and Trey were talking about earlier, but no action on stopping this. So uh, Ty and I got together and organized uh, a group of folks that wanted to oppose this and used uh, the C3 of Real Change to launch this effort to take that initiative down. And it was ultimately kicked off the ballot, thankfully. But we stayed together um, as a group and are focusing on a dual strategy. One is meeting material needs at the short term through our mutual aid work and supporting neighbors that are being swept by another administration. No surprise there. And we also wanted to focus on the long-term solutions for policy and structure change. So in August, we had a retreat. We said we want to look into social housing and that's what we've been working on since then. And we just started gathering signatures for the initiative yesterday because we just can't keep waiting for solutions to come down and 
work groups, as you and Trey were talking about, and panels and more reports to just go sit on the dust, go, go collect dust on the shelves. So we know that every year that we don't solve the affordability crisis at scale, more people are going to enter homelessness. That's an irrefutable fact. Rents go up, more people are pushed into homelessness, and more black, brown, and low-income communities are pushed out of the city, having to travel 30 to 60 minutes each way, into the city to serve those that are wealthy and more privileged and then go home and try to, you know, spend time with their families and decompress. So we wanted to stake out boldly and put forward um, a solution that is wildly successful across the globe. And folks on the right and centrists are going to say, oh, this is a European model. It's too idealistic. But this is across Latin America, Singapore. This is also in Canada, in Britain and in Europe. And uh, actually in Montgomery County, Maryland as well. So that's uh, what we're doing. So how is social housing different than, say, a developer that, that might be doing like an affordable housing project? Yeah. So the, the biggest the cornerstone is we do not currently have the tools necessary to, to meet our affordability needs at scale. We, we don't have any of those. We have very important interventions through nonprofit developers and current affordable housing mechanisms, and they are staving off part of the crisis and it's harm reduction and we need those mechanisms, but we don't have a plan whole scale specifically for like those that make zero to 120% of the area media income. So we're talking about your baristas, your custodians, your nurses, school workers um, that aren't able to, you know, afford being in the city. So um, yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that housing was um, dedicated for them as a right, not as a commodity. So the biggest difference is that we aren't focused on like crisis reduction or, or interventions um, for folks that are unhoused to get back inside. We want to kind of cut off that pipeline into homelessness and cut off that pipeline into displacement um, by just creating housing as a human right and as a um, not as a commodity and making sure that people aren't paying more than 30% of their income in rent into a building that's community controlled. So this is what, what this would form is uh, a PDA mm -hmm. and you, you guys would just basically be uh, you'd, you'd be competing in the developer space, right? If you could talk a little bit like how actually the, the mechanics of it will work. Definitely, yes. Yeah. So this would create a public development authority. Um, we call it the Seattle Social Housing Developer. This would be a publicly owned developer in perpetuity. So forever, this is publicly owned. As you and Trey discuss, it's community building the community, community housing the community. Um, and yeah, it would be able to go out and acquire buildings and move those over into the social housing portfolio and also build buildings in the future. Um, and we have like really high environmental standards on those buildings as well, because we, even though it's not fun to talk about, climate change is real. It's here. We know that it disproportionately um, affects those that are unhoused in black and brown communities. We need to make sure that we're building housing that is like healthy for us to live in and breathe during fire season. So it would be able to compete with private uh, private developers, but also it would be able to just take public land that the city gave to it and develop that um, into social housing units to serve the public. So um, the other biggest thing is, and this is where we get wonky and I don't want to spend too much time on it, um, but the financing mechanisms that are available to current affordable housing models are extremely 
limiting and restrictive and onerous. And by creating a public developer for social housing outside of our current mechanisms, not only are we focusing on like that middle, uh, missing middle housing, but we also are making sure that profit isn't the driven motive and also that the federal government isn't dictating who can be in the buildings. Right. I, I do know one thing um, in the affordable housing space right now, a lot of it is dependent upon a lot of things with the government and tax credits. And uh, it, it, it is a process to, you know, to actually get in there. I mean, it's something that's there. Definitely thankful for affordable housing that's out there right now, serving people in our community. We talked about earlier, uh, like the Liberty Bank building, it's affordable housing building, Jackson Heights. But there's a there's a very big process to that. And, you know, um, and what you're saying is, is that right now, a lot of those processes can also be prohibitive um, and can hamstring a developer. And what you say is you want to be able to move away from that. How how would you fund the PDA? Yeah, so we set out in this first step of our like long campaign uh, plan for How's Our Neighbors to put together the structure and the vision for social housing, creating this public developer that is owned in the public for perpetuity, that focuses on permanently affordable rent, creates cross-class communities and renter leadership. Our governing board is going to be a renter majority governing board. Um, but so we couldn't give it funding um, because that is not only um, not the authority of a public developer, but also we just wanted to put forward the vision and the structure. Because as you and Trey rightly said, we don't have any more time to wait. Um, and virtually every elected official, regardless of their political background, agrees that affordable housing is a really deep need. So now the onus will be on them in our campaign to get them to fund something that they say we desperately need. So, but from day one, the developer will be able to like seek out funding on its own. It will have that authority, but we'll be working on a progressive revenue source um, to fund it long-term. Right. And there's a lot of developers. You had a developer and then you had the financer. So, you know, I mean, that's very commonplace. The developer doesn't need to have all the cash right there. Developer needs to have maybe the access to space to develop the vision, the plans, then you go and find the financing for it. So, I mean, this sounds to me, Right. That is like a, a development corporate uh, develop developer basically owned by the people, a PDA that's going to compete one in the space of re regular developers, but can also develop on city land. And you're going to create housing um, that is basically more affordable for everyday workers here in the city. Yeah. I know it sounds like too good to be true, but they do it all over the globe and we can do it here. There's no reason not to. Yeah. I mean, it, it like it, it, it doesn't sound, I mean, yeah, it just, is anybody against this? Because like, I, I'm just thinking about it because the idea of it, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, man, okay, well, who would really be against this? So is there anybody who's against this? I, we haven't had any opposition outwardly yet. I imagine there are discussions happening and behind closed doors of private developers and folks that see housing as a commodity and want to keep being able to skyrocket rents to pad their bottom line. I imagine they're against it. We'll see if they come out uh, against it. But uh, other than that, we haven't heard any opposition. But when we're going out into the street for the last three months talking to renters, there's not a renter that says, oh, yeah, I'm totally safe and comfortable. I can afford my rent. I'm not worried about moving. I'm good. Don't need this. Right. Now, speaking of that, so we know initiatives you need. It's a process with that. And I see you got you just started. Um, how many signatures do you need by when for, for this to go up on the ballot? Yeah. So we need about 27,000 valid signatures, but we're going to try to get 35,000 yeah. by the end of June. Um, that way we can get it on the November ballot. 
the city council could sit on it and get it onto a later ballot, but don't worry, we'll be there to push them to put it on the November ballot. And now on the ballot, is it just by, you know, 51% or something like that? So if it, Yep, just by 51%. So that's what we're going to be studying for. Yes or no. Do we, should we create the Seattle social housing developer to build uh, deeply affordable housing? Right. I want to take a few minutes here before I let you go. And we have uh, your colleague Ty come out. You mentioned something about sweeps and, and what's, what's happening with the sweeps. Um, we haven't been out on a lot of different sweeps. Um, maybe you can kind of update our viewing uh, audience as to what is going on with homeless encampments and sweeps, at least how you're, you guys seen it there um, in your organization. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, I would definitely bring Ty into that too, because Ty's out there right. doing like that mutual aid and on the ground support a lot more than I am. But I mean, the Durkin administration was was hell. They moved away from these 72-hour sweeps into just immediate sweeps under this broad cloak of if you're an obstruction or a, a public safety hazard, you can be swept immediately, which you could argue everything under that broad of a category. So we just see immediate sweeps out there now. We The Herald administration has taken that up. They're doing it uh, rapidly. We know that President Biden is going to be here on Friday. So is there a correlation between all of the sweeps and President Biden being here? Anyways, it's a cruel policy. It's It causes so much harm and trauma. And we need to be like stopping that pipeline into homelessness as we're talking about. And besides rental assistance, which we still desperately need to be funding in this interim, we don't have a plan to stop homelessness from actually happening. And and I agree with Charles Mudede. Homelessness is a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And well, you know, one of the things that, that I've been keeping an eye on and at the last press conference that Mayor Harrell had with uh, the, the DEA, the U S attorney, um, the uh, Superior Court um, attorney and uh, the municipal, the, the city attorney. And one of the things that I brought up was that I see the all-stars here of law enforcement. And they said, that, you know, one of their big things is cutting off the fentanyl pipeline in the Seattle. So you've got these at every level, the U.S. attorney there, the DEA there, everything. And my question was, Where's the all-stars of social services? Where's the all-star of, of repair? These, these are our community members. And when I say community, I speak larger than just black folk. In, in our municipal, these are community members in the city of Seattle. These are our community members in King County. A lot of people who, who, are, who are unhoused, and that goes through a wide range that you know much better than me, from the people who are just couch, they tell you they're just couch surfing, but they really don't have a home, right? And you just don't catch on. Hey, can I crash with you for a few days? All the way to what people see. And of course, this is as a city, we act on what we can see. And that's the unhoused there on the street. And I'm, I'm always wondering, what is our plan for our impacted community members who, if, if, you, if you talk, you know, we're, we're right here on first. I talk to a lot of people walking back and forth. Sometimes they just see me and come up to me. And sometimes I talk to them and people don't want to be in that state. And I just know that we can't leave our community members in an affected state. We have to figure it out. I don't know the answers, but you know, I know that we can't have one without the other. 
You're, you're exactly right. And that's what policymakers um, don't connect. And with this new administration coming in and, and Ann Davison as the city attorney, I mean, we are just going back to like 90s policing ideas and, and crime and punishment, which we know doesn't work. And um, and these ideas that you can punish away poverty and, and you can criminalize away poverty, which is just not founded out anywhere. Um, in any research anywhere. So that's another reason we also wanted to inject like this hope and vision into like Seattle right now, because right now it's just about being on the defense. And I mean, mutual aid workers are out there so much like bending over backwards just to like make sure that um, our unhoused neighbors have like their needs met or, or help moving because the city doesn't provide help in moving people from one corner of a street to another. So we wanted to inject like hope and vision and like some community aspect as well into this discussion because if you don't stop the pipeline into homelessness, this is going to continue happening. Rent is going to keep going up. Homelessness is going to keep happening. We don't have behavioral health support. So homeless is going to keep happening. Like we can't keep focusing on the after effects of our policies. We have to get to that root cause. And that's what like our coalition is all about. And what we keep forcing into like the media narrative. And that's like, we're, we're so thankful for uh, Converge Media for also doing that. Like we need more of those discussions. People want, we want instant gratification. We want short-term solutions. I was on Cairo this morning. They're like, so is this going to solve all the tents being outside? And I said, no, it's not going to solve that until we as a community come together and see that we all need to exist together and can coexist and we fund everything that humans need in order to be successful. Right. And also people should keep in mind, too, that Seattle, uh, I know that there's more that we can be doing, but people, y'all need the, the other 38 or 39 municipalities in King County. Let's remember. A lot of the people who are homeless on the streets of Seattle. These are your sons. These are your daughters. This this is people who are all from from Bellevue and Renton and Federal Way and all over King County. Seattle is the place where they can end up and get some services because a lot of y'all and your cities have turned your back on people who are unhoused. And so they end up here in the city of Seattle where they can get some semblance of services that are here. And so when you talk about solving the problems on the tents, it's important that the other municipalities in King County, you realize these are this is your community members that are down here too. talk. Walk these streets downtown and ask how many people are you from Seattle? Did you did you grow up in Seattle? Did you go to high school in Seattle? Did you whatever? It's a lot of people who aren't from here. And so we keep in mind that Seattle gets an influx from around the region. You know, I could talk to you on and on. And I, I know we're definitely going to have you back during this campaign. Uh, any last words or thoughts before we go to break? No, just like folks get involved. I know Ty will come on soon, but look at howsourneighbors.org or look up uh, how's with just the letter R neighbors on Twitter and social media. But uh, just, yeah, appreciate the commentary you and Trey have already had about social housing. We need answers now. And this is something that we can put forward and implement in the city of Seattle. And um, this is a this is a nationally growing movement. It's happening in Hawaii and it's happening in California right now as well. So just thanks for having us on and looking forward to talking more. Soon. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, voila, Ty Reed coming to the morning update show with Trey Holiday. We'll be right back.
When the pandemic hit, it did affect me as a barber. I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to a doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, And joining me right now on the set is Ty Reed. Ty, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation already. Well, you know, it really has already set a great foundation. I think Tiffany and Omari were really just describing things that have been echoed for so many decades in terms of, I know, particularly in Black organizing. You know, we talk about a lot of folks who have been saying solutions are necessary right now. Tell us about your work on this initiative. Yeah, um, Tiffany gave some background on what we've been working on. Um, my side of things has has been closer to um, trying to find s- short-term solutions to the sweeps pandemic, or I don't know how to reference it, um, the kind of sweeps that we've been experiencing um, that have increased under uh, under the new administration of Bruce Harrell. Um, so I've, I started working on the campaign um, as co-chair with Tiffany and like this time last year. And since then, I've kind of been like bringing people in together and talking to more community folks. Um, When we first started this, um, Tiffany kind of just like asked me like, what do you want to do about this Compassion Seattle thing? And I thought it was a great opportunity to bring in people who aren't typically at the table when you talk about initiatives and fighting for something in Seattle, you know, not just the biggest unions or established organizations. I was like, we need you know, social workers, we need mutual aid workers, we need people who actually live outside because if we fight this in an institutionalized way, we're really not gonna get the answers that we want. We'll probably end up like conceding on a lot of issues. Um, so I think it was really important that when we started, um, it was like from a basis of, like, we want to really reflect the needs of in, uh, marginalized folks and people who are most impacted. And so like, you know, I see my role as making sure that we stick to that and make sure that we like rooted in those values. And um, we've had a lot of folks come in since then and they are super about that life right they want to make sure that this this initiative doesn't get washed down that we're asking for really big things because we really need we need really big things and that people are willing to push for something even if it seems kind of far-fetched yeah i really love this approach because i think it's so necessary right now i i I talk often about bold approaches it's just the zeitgeist we're in the times we're in cannot allow for us to have a you know stair-stepped kind of approach anymore it's like we understand the end result of what's needed we need to get there quickly uh and so when you talk about about these sweeps. I mean, as Omari said, we've been kind of seeing this take shape. I know that, you know, we've been seeing it in terms of some of the, the ways that Mayor, Mayor Harold's administration has gone about this. I've been saying from the gate that if you're not partnering with social services, if you're not partnering with community rooted solutions, when you think about clearing up the streets, what are we really doing here? Are we just moving up, you know, this issue from one side of the street to another? What are some of the real details that you're experiencing out there by really paying close attention to these sweeps? You know, I, I was at a sweep yesterday, right? Um, a few weeks back or a couple weeks ago, um, we had partnered with SIDMA, which is uh, the CID mutual aid group, and they had reached out to Stop the Sweeps, um, a group I'm also a part of, about needing support for a big sweep that was going to happen on Jackson between 8th and 10th, and then another one on King between 8th and 10th. Mm-hmm. And so these are kind of 
like um, the heart of the CID. And these folks in SIDMA have been serving folks out there for a really long time. And I think their sweep efforts often get unnoticed and not talked about. Um, and so we were able to stop the King street sweep um, or at least delay it because we made a big stink about them not having uh, language services. They did not have proper notice in, uh, in Vietnamese and Chinese, which is what a lot of folks out there speak. And so yesterday was kind of the continuation of that sweep and we saw it play out. And what I saw was the same exact people. That's what you'll notice about sweeps. And they ironically feel like community building events because I do see the same folks and it's the same service workers. It's the same police. It's the same parks department. It's the same people getting swept. So it almost feels like a, the worst party in the world. Um, but what I've noticed is that you are sweeping people from one spot to the next. If I see someone that sweeps three or four times, can Bruce Harrell say he's solving anything by actually making them happen? Can anybody say they're solving anything? That you've moved someone from third to fourth to Pioneer Square to all over and that they haven't gotten housing in all of those times. They've just moved from place to place. Um, I think like that that has been like really devastating to people who have been able to create communities. Um, I personally have had some some hard times like dealing with the community that I do mutual aid out being swept last Friday. And those folks have been there for three years. So these weren't people who had tenuous connections or you can accuse of not having any kind of community bonds. They had created a camp that made sense for them with rules that applied and they kicked people out when they weren't respectful of those. And that just got destroyed. And none of those people are housed. Uh, none of those people are living in an apartment. Um, I think maybe one person got a tiny home, but I haven't been able to check. So that might not actually be true. Um, I think that to, to say that Durkin's sweeps were devastating and to see how Bruce Harrell has transformed them into something much, much worse. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that what we're, what we're building up is for is a lot of violence and mixing communities that are being swept back and forth. And, and we're just preparing for a, a lot of like harm to be done on the streets because people are just being shuffled, but they're not actually going inside. You know, you really mentioned such a valid point here. One of the elders in our community, Dr. Mims, has been talking to uh, many community members about the idea that uh, our unhoused now, it's a culture. What we're forgetting is to do something that's culturally responsive for them, because you do have people exactly what you said there, Ty, that create community in these camps that are creating rules, a sense of structure, a sense of value system that they're going to follow. These are things that are not at all talked about in the major scale. And ultimately, it's unfortunate because we have to also atone to the fact that these are these are people that are also smart out there. They have their way of how they're going to live and how they're surviving. And then they have their own ideas of, okay, how do we collectively come together to thrive? So I just love that your experience has been able to bring that to light because it's something, it's not just in theory, this is real, this is in practice. And I think when we talk about approaches, we really have to think about the need for multidisciplinary approaches. We're talking about mutual aid. We're talking about social services. I know that the King County Regional Homelessness authority, right? They're, they're, they're like some of these sweeps, they're not even being informed of. So how is there really a, a multifaceted approach to these sweeps that allows for those who are getting paid good dollars to do that work, to be at the forefront of it as well? Um, I also want to bring in the lived experience coalition. We know that that is the uh, center of many unhoused voices that are coming together to say, this is what our lived experience is. If you're not centering us, what are you really doing? Ty, I, I think that the 
the social housing concept is one of those metrics. Tell us about why you actually understand this as a reasonable and much needed solution to what you're seeing and experiencing out there. Yeah, I think that Tiffany did a good job of covering all like the financial reasons. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know a lot of legal stuff. But I think for me, what stands out about being in super that's super important is like what we were discussing now is like having some autonomy over your living space, right? Like the irony of living outside is that you have more rights than a tenant who lives in a building, right? Yeah. Like um, you can be evicted at any time, but you know, if, if a sweep doesn't happen, you get to decide who's allowed to be there, what kind of structures, how law, like how loud people can be and things like that. And you know, as someone who pays eight, like whose rent is 1875 in Seattle for a one bedroom, I wonder how long I'll be able to live here. And I wonder what housing I will actually be able to get as I'm pushed into, like, as I have fewer and fewer options for who I just have to accept to be my landlord. And one of the things about social housing that's super important to me is that community-based decision. You get to decide who your maintenance people are, what the outside of your building looks like. If you have daycare in your building, if you have a workout room, like tenants, Renters should be able to make those decisions. And I don't know of any situation other than those few rare housing co-ops where you can do that, where you can say, um, this is how I want to live and build an actual community. And so I think for me, that's what's super important about social housing. And, and another thing is I was a case manager for a year and I had to quit that because that was a hard job. But one of the things I noticed is that you know, even if you have $5,000 in your pocket, you can't get housing because you have a past eviction, mm. because you have anything on your record that says that you were a bad tenant, because uh, you have a conviction, because you have a low credit score, because you don't understand the application process, or because you have a voucher, and there's no way to put that you have a voucher on that application. And so with social housing, we are able to get rid of all or most of those barriers that make it hard for black and brown people, especially in my experience, to even get into housing, even if they do have the funds. And so I think, you know, what's really important to me is I would like to see some renter, some tenant control over the way that we live. And I just don't see that even in the nonprofit affordable housing models. You know, mm -hmm. you still have to go through that um, application processing that's ac actually longer than a regular housing, like market rate housing application, because you've got to prove your income and you've got to show how many kids you got and all these different things. Um, and hopefully just make it easier to get into housing and stay in housing. Um, because what I'll tell a lot of people is a lot of folks don't need transitional housing outside. They, they don't need supportive housing. They could get off the streets and into a, a, an apartment without any support very easily. It's just none of those apartments exist. You know, they're starting at $900, $1,000 for a studio. And that's just not reasonable for people who who do need a leg up in terms of price outside of like the support and stuff. You, you know, you really make valid points here, Ty. And, and I'll say as somebody who's worked in community housing, I think we actually have an opportunity to understand the barriers that are still put in place for renters and the idea of this kind of intrusive application process. It's like bear your soul to us so that we understand why you qualify for one of these amazing units. And we really have to be even better in terms of the approach and the intentionality. How are we leading with compassion? This is why the Compassion Seattle was such a misnomer because a lot of folks looked at that and said, where's the real compassion here, right? And so I, I'm, I'm glad that that was kind of a nucleus for you guys to be like, oh no, we need to jump in front of this. We need to do something. But it's really interesting because we understand that, you know, there's a wide variety of housing needs out here. When we talk about housing diversity. I think that social housing really answers a concept of what you're describing right now. And as Tiffany said, these model 
deals exist globally and across the country in terms of, you know, renter approved uh, appropriations for their housing. The renters are the ones and the tenants are the ones that are the decision makers. And there's also opportunities for the tenants to become owners, uh, shared owners in the space. These are things that really open up the market around housing diversity that are totally necessary for a city such as Seattle and a county such as King County, where we see the high cost of living is now doing exactly the opposite in terms of caring for the citizens. So I, I really appreciate you guys' work on this because you guys are really setting a tone for what we need next. I mean, what are some of the things that you think people can be doing to support what you guys have going on? Well, I would say, first off, please sign up to gather signatures, right? Like, we don't have a bunch of money like Compassion Seattle did. I think that they rate, like gathered like twice as many signatures that they needed. I mean, a lot of them were invalid, so that didn't matter. But we need volunteer power. We need community power. Because I think, aside from the actual gains of social housing, we need to be building a movement. The people who work on this campaign today hopefully build the PDA and they work for the PDA and they're on the board and they get to, you know, break ground on the first building that we actually start or we buy another building and they get to manage it or they get to live in it. Um, so the more people who are involved while we're trying to get this started, I think the stronger the infrastructure will be when it's actually up and we've made that win. So it doesn't just fall to government to make sure it happens and that just goes away. Um, so definitely sign up to um, gather signatures at any of our tabling events um, at, uh, what is it, houseourneighbors.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at house letter R neighbors dot um, how's our neighbors um, and I would just say like follow us follow what we're doing we're going to have a panel tomorrow actually that you can sign up for um, that I will be um, moderating and it's going to be talking about funding so a lot of it's going to be what is social housing how is it funding how could how is it funded how can people benefit from this in this country and so they're going to go really in depth so if you have any of those questions or you're interested in finding out more so that you can like tell people why they should be interested um, I think Seattle relies too heavily on these long explanations like people want to know all those in the weed details how are you going to pay for it down to the cent and if you're interested in that i think follow us attend our panels share our content gather signatures with us um and definitely make sure that we get what we need to to make it to the ballot in november you know, this is a great initiative. And, and before I let you go, one thing you said there that I think really resonates with me is the PDA being owned and operated really by the people who are a part of this effort, which I think sometimes some folks think about the history of PDAs and they go, oh, man, no, that's another quasi governmental agency that is over this. That's another mayoral appointed court that then gets to decide how this public development authority is going to be utilized. And we've seen that over the course of time, how it doesn't really impact the people that it's supposed to impact. So uh, I think you guys' approach in terms of making sure that the people that are on this journey right now are also going to be the ones that can have those opportunities to really govern the PDA is, is a breath of fresh air to me because just because it seems like a good thing, you always have to follow it through and make sure the right people at the heart of it. Ty, I so appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much for being here and sharing this, this important initiative. We will be following you guys along the way. I can't wait to have y'all back. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, immensely enjoyed this. And also check us out tomorrow at that panel that I'll be moderating.
Absolutely. Wow. Great effort indeed, you guys. And, you know, we went a little over time because this was a necessary discussion. So glad you guys were, uh, you know, hopefully you guys got informed and learned more. I sure, I certainly did. I want to follow this up and close out with, oh, after this short break, stay tuned. You're watching the Morning Update Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, And joining me back on the set is our guy, Big O. Man, Big O, great show today. Yeah, no, no. Great, great conversation. And, you know, it's, it's important that that um, we use the platform here to be able to to amplify as many voices that are out there trying to find solutions here. You know what I'm saying? And like, you know, for me, I think that a lot of people, they they discount just the person who's maybe in the middle. And I'm not saying like I'm a, a centrist on things, but you get the people who are like, man, sweep them all. And then the people were like, oh, everybody should maybe get everything. And I'm just like, man, because I'm, I'm a business owner on First Avenue, you know? And when there's people oftentimes sleeping right there in front of our front door, you know, I mean, we, we don't, we're not like the people next door who that's their main, you know, entrance and everything else. It's like, no, somebody who's operating a business, they don't necessarily, they don't want somebody sleeping in their door and obstructing customers coming in. At the same time, though, it's like, where is this brother going? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like, we, we, they, they don't have to be void of each other having taking action and having compassion for our community members doesn't have to be, you know, two separate things. And, and that's why it's like, you know, on the real, like, I mean, this is something that we deal with here every day, just like, you know, early this morning, five, six blocks from here, it was another shooting 23 year old killed right over there on, uh, on, on King street. So like we're, we're not in, uh, in some high rise somewhere and there's this and that we go in like, we live, I walk past third and Pike and Pine every day coming here and going home. And I just, I just know that like, we can't forget Seattle, unfortunately is a city that has a humanity and a compassion switch. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> it's kind of all a cart who, who we're going to care about and who we're, who we're not going to care about. And just real quick, an example was uh Anais Valencia mm -hmm. when when Anais was was murdered up there in Nam and the initial police report said that the shooter and the victim might have known each other mm -hmm. no one cared it wasn't until we came out and said yo this was a random act of violence nobody nobody you know what I'm saying they didn't know each other all of a sudden Seattle found this compassion and this humanity how can we do a GoFundMe how can we do with this how can we do and I saw right there I was like "Ooh, this is a cold compassion switch to Seattle got my friend it switches on and off but like for us to solve this problem for real you know what I'm saying? We got to keep our community members in our heart and in our intentions and just pushing stuff down the street. I don't solve nothing. How can we really, man, get all the way upstream clearly in the long term? And how can we in the best way help our community members today? You know, this is why I really appreciated this discussion, because so much of it resonates with uh 
solutions that are happening on the ground that need to be scaled up. When I say on the ground, I mean community-based organizations, institutions, uh, community leaders, individuals. There's a lot of folks that have been involved in crafting solutions and they're doing it at a micro level. Oftentimes it's this one program, this one particular development project, this one particular this, this one, you know, building of an institution here. But really the collective whole of all of that goes back to you know, how communities been resonating and saying what we need to be doing is treating the whole person. You know, it can't be a one-off solution around, hey, this let's just clean up this street today. You just heard it right there from Ty, who's like, I'm seeing the exact same people in the next week, in the next week. So are you really doing anything? And for us, when we talk about this, we also have to recognize that this is like taxpayer money that goes into a lot of these efforts. So what? It, how are we being able to be more intentional to ensure that that those investments have long-term solutions, not just for cleaning up the streets, but for making sure that people are being cared for. You're right about the compassion speech, man. I'll say this, is that being visible and your visibility making you undesirable and people finding a way to push you out by all means are people was visible. Mm -hmm. They was undesirable and been pushed out from 90% in the central district to less than 10. So let's, let's not separate ourselves from this issue too far because we see being visible and undesirable what happened in our community. So I definitely don't know all the answers. And you know, if anybody knows me, man, I want to listen and learn from everybody, you know what I'm saying? But I'll, I'll never, move from a place, you know, without putting humanity first, you know, and, and we, we need to, we need to, we need to find real solutions. There's a lot of people out there, man. They, they hurting, man. They hurt, you know, on that note, Trey holiday, I'm sorry we've kept you over time, but I think it's well worth the discussion. Any last words before we get out of here? So needed. And, you know, as always, I, I'm so inspired to be on this side of the screen and be having such a phenomenal guest that constantly uh, lend to that inspiration of seeing myself as a part of the solution. If I can do nothing more than inspire you all out there to, to you know, take advantage of these opportunities when we're bringing guests on here and they're sharing uh, how they are seeing themselves as a part of the solution. We keep showing you guys a wide range of ways that you can get yourself out there, get engaged, get involved. Let's change things for the better. See yourself as part of the solution. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's time to probably reach back out to Mayor Harrell's office and see where our all-stars of social services are. You know what I'm saying? He asked for some time. Um, it's, it's been a while now since that press conference. So let's, let's see how that's coming along. Um, I think we got a few programming notes for tonight. Well, tonight I mentioned as, um, Seattle news views and brews. That's at seven o'clock and that's coming up. And then tomorrow, but this is be real interesting here tomorrow. Um, well, yeah, we've got Mike Davis tomorrow from South Seattle Emerald. We've also got another guest here. There he is. Yeah. So Nathan, Nathan is joining us. And they want to what would be the first black hospice mm. in, in Washington State. And so the licenses are up right now for a hospice. And when we talk about death with dignity in our community, and I remember even just some of those brief conversations with Ashley McGirt. Um, she used to work in the, in the hospice uh, room as a, as a therapist there. And, you know, these guys are wanting to, to culturally relevant. 
you know, there's something to be said about death with dignity. So it'll be a good discussion. And tomorrow, um, man, on that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show here today. You know what I'm saying? And appreciate all the support out there from our community and community members. They like they they like today. I'm glad that we're leaving you with Shayna Shepard and a little bit of hope on that note. I want to remind you, go forward in your purpose. Go forward in your humanity. And until tomorrow at 11 a.m. Peace. What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of a sundown, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable. Looking out left on a right hand turn, just trying to make
Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.